there are 76 million of us just here in the US. We are the biggest generation that ever existed. We were called the me ones, the crazy ones, and boy, do we know what that means, don't we? In fact, we have reinvented every single phase of our life. We were the yuppies, we were the hippies. We like innovation. Well, now we are in the winter of our life. And I can assure you, this is not going to be your average winter. I invite you to join me at Boomerology Revealed every single week so we can figure out how boomers are reshaping this phase of their lives. Join me. This episode of Boomerology Revealed is brought to you by Standard, your best option for mobility products. Be independent with Standard.com. Welcome to Boomerology Revealed TV. I'm Shahar Boyayan, your host. In the next 20 minutes, we are going to talk about drugs. Yes, many boomers had their time with drugs, and many of us now face loved ones struggling with drugs. So we are going to share with some, some stories with you and some expert advice. We are also going to talk about boomers propelling some trends and a lot more for you to have fun. Let's watch. Baby boomers are also known as the crazy ones. There are many reasons behind that, but one of them was the amount of exposure we had to drugs when we were young. Some of us tried those and got over, some of us tried those, didn't get over, and some of us never tried anything. Many of us today live the drug problem within our families. I have invited some people to share their stories, so let's take a watch. Well, it's an interesting story, of course, as most boomers probably experienced it was the drug era and I experienced my fair share of experimenting with drugs as well when I was growing up when I was in high school uh, and beyond it, it really gave me an interesting perspective on the drug culture then and now and how things have changed and how it influences your life differently when you're older versus when you were in the midst of doing it and a whole different generation. And so after years of taking part of the drug scene and being involved in that culture, then stopping and moving on with my life, having a family, yet still having my partner participate in doing drugs. And um, then as my kids have become teenagers and reached high school, then they started experimenting and that caused a lot of tension inside me because my philosophy was, I've already done it for you, just ask me about it, you don't need to do it. <laughs> but that's not the case. They had to you know, experiment for themselves and um, check things out. I was married and had a couple kids before I experimented with you know, marijuana <laughs> or alcohol. And I could see that with my addictive personality that I shouldn't even touch that stuff because it would be so easy. And yet I've seen how my brothers and sisters, I'm the oldest of nine kids, mm. had experimented and then became addicted and it had totally trashed their lives. I lost a brother and a sister to suicide who were meth addicted and we have a lot of severe depression in our family. I've also had brothers and a sister who have been able to get their lives together through the help of the 12-step um, programs. Mm -hmm. the they were addicted to drugs or alcohol? 
Yes, both. Uh, both. Okay. Mm -hmm. I myself am an ad advocate to prevent um, drug addictions, alcohol, um, with a program called Communities That Care, and I mentor at-risk youth. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, you know, that about preventing, as well as being there more for my family. My my husband at the time. Um, had been using drugs off and on since he was in his he had retired from the Navy I think he was going through your typical baby boomer midlife crisis and he decided to go back to what he had done when he was 17 years old which I think a lot of us do we go back to our teenage years looking for maybe something that that we found fulfilling then he went back to doing drugs we were having trouble in the marriage. We'd been married about 18 years by that time. Um, I was in my mid-40s by then, so kind of going through my little baby boomer midlife crisis. And um, my husband, again, we grew up in the 70s. I never really did drugs, but there had been times at parties where someone might have passed um, a marijuana joint around or something, and I might have taken a smoke, but that was it. I, I never really even drank alcohol because I'm a real high-energy, happy-go-lucky kind of person, so I never really needed drugs. But my husband, and this is one of those, oh my gosh, I really, really should have been paying attention. Um, it was one of those life-changing moments that happened in the blink of an eye, and I really didn't know what happened until I was already in the middle of it. My husband said, here, smoke this, being the easy-going, sweet southern girl that I am, I said, okay. So I smoked it. Unbeknownst to me, it was actually crack cocaine. Wow. I immediately became addicted. It was lots of fun. I think that's a lot of time when people talk about doing drugs, they don't really talk about the very first part of it. It is a lot of fun. It's a great feeling. That's why people continue to do drugs. So for a couple of months there, it was a lot of fun. Then it stopped being fun. It was no longer any fun. Um, I never bought anything myself. Um, my husband actually purchased all of the um, creational drugs from the street corner pharmacists, as I like to say. <laughs> the drugs now are so much more potent. They're more potent. They're um, they're hybrids, so they. You know, they've been Christ-bred with other things, and I just think it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think that's why we're seeing so many people with uh, drug addictions. And I also believe that um, they're easier to get, especially drugs like heroin and cocaine and crack and um, meth. Is you know, it's not as hard to find. It's just right it's there. Everywhere. In your time, did you managed to stop using drugs by yourself or did you need to go and look for help? No, I was able to stop by myself. I made the decision. Um, it happened over a period of time. Getting busted was one of them that was really uncomfortable, made me rethink what I was doing. But uh, it happened for me when I got pregnant. Okay. with my that son. Was I was I was married and, you know, ready to start a family, but I didn't think I would get pregnant as quickly as I did. And when that happened, I made the decision that that was not going to be a part of my life mm -hmm. anymore for me. And that was, it was an easy decision. For how long were you taking drugs? I was 
totally addicted to crack cocaine for nine months. Nine months. And how, how did you manage to get out of that? At the end of the nine months, I now um, I'm, I'm, I'm an average American weight. At the time, I was 88 pounds, not eating. I, w I would ask my husband and the people that um, actually did drugs with him, it was very sad and poignant, I would ask them to take me to a hospital and drop me off just like you would a little baby who needed to be adopted, who needed help. I said, I understand you don't want your party to stop, but I'm dying and I need help. Unfortunately, they never helped me. So it finally got to the point, and I don't really know, it was one of those, my husband went off on another ranting and raving tyrant like people who drugs, especially cocaine users. There's a lot of anger and a lot of um, intensity to them. He went off like, I'm a very high energy person myself. So it was almost though it was almost like an epiphany moment. It was very quiet in my mind and my heart, Shahar. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm no longer going to do this. I'm going to run away. Um, I, I, I need help. I went to my parents. Um, they had suspected that something was going on because of the weight gain, pardon me, the weight loss. Right. And um, I stayed at my parents' house and I asked them to take me to my family doctor. I went to my family doctor the next day. I said, you know, I'm dying. Please help me. The irony of this, I tried, it took a lot of courage for me to get to that point. I tried to turn myself in to a rehab drug facility. Mm -hmm. I go to the drug facility, and in my usual humorous naivete um, way, I said, I'm sorry, is this where all the upper middle class white crack whores turn themselves in? <laughs> yes, I really said that. Um, my parents and me are going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that she just said that. Anyway, what broke my heart the nurse that I was talking to looked at me and said, Honey, crack cocaine is not addictive. You don't need to be in here. And you, I'm shocked. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm reaching out for help. I'm, I'm obviously, there's a problem. She said, um, you know, everybody else that was in this facility are here by orders from the courts. So I stopped and I looked around and everybody kind of had... Um, shackles on their ankles and they were really there under force and I thought oh my gosh where upper middle class white crack whores go and I knew that I wasn't alone that's the whole point of my message and the whole point of my story I know I'm not the only silly baby boomer out there or, or any any age of person who's made such a mistake and then you get in the middle of things it's very difficult it's very embarrassing it's very shameful but if you try it once you're basically hooked do you think that the fact that you have used drugs before uh, as a mother the type of advice do you think you had the best approach do you think you could be more forceful what are your thoughts on that um, you know I had a really good approach at talking to my kids before um, especially my, my youngest was one that really struggled with it but before 
they reached that age. We had a lot of really frank conversations about it, but once um, he really got into using it, then I, I don't know if my approach was that great <laughs> because I, I panicked. It was like, no, you know, and um, and it was Tell very disruptive. Tell me about this panic. So what was exactly going in your mind? You're panicking uh, because of what? Was there guilt or were you're panicking because of what could happen? What could happen, um, the behavior, dropping out of school, suddenly I became my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and and those things uh, were, were frightening to me. I saw my son, you know, start to fail in school and drop out and, you know, getting in trouble with the law and uh, totaling my car, which was not a <laughs> really fun experience mm -hmm. either. And so the panic was I had no control. I think that's what the real panic was, is I could not control the situation no matter how many conversations I had, the, you know, getting police involved. I had no control, and I think that's what the real panic was. Any final advice for people dealing with drugs uh, in their family and with their loved ones? Yes, yes. Like I said, have faith. Believe in something higher than yourself. God, Buddha, whoever it may be, um, believe in something, have friends and family that you can talk to, join a group, um, a lot of people don't, maybe don't feel comfortable in the 12-step programs, um, but have somebody to talk to. There are, nowadays you can talk to people online, there are blogs, there are so many things that feel alone because unfortunately there's a lot of people out there that have been through that. And again, if you know someone that you feel is having a problem, confront them. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. They're going to get angry, but begin the dialogue now. That's, that's the only real way that you can start to heal. There's a lot of guilt that comes with being the survivor of a family member that's passed away. I lost a beautiful young niece just, last, just before Thanksgiving last year that I had no idea that she was struggling, who took her own life. And, you know, my mom's lost three brothers that way, out of 13 kids in their family and, you know, uh, cousins. And I just see the trauma that impacts the families, as well as we don't know what kind of hell those people are going through mm -hmm. who are struggling with the drug addictions and then they feel like there's no hope. Mm -hmm. I heard of a, a man that was prominent in our community whose son was in what they call like the pavilion for a suicide attempt, a young boy, and he said, but I talked to him and I, I did this for him and, and we together did this and he could not understand why his son would try to commit suicide mm -hmm. when they did everything for them. And that's the one thing that we have to just listen and look for signs. Because I know they even have packs in, in schools now, like junior highs. Uh, kids talk about the suicide packs, you know. And my niece was aware. And she was able to kind of break away from those friends and be more of an adult mindset when it came to things like that. But she was very concerned at a young age that she had friends that were in these suicide pacts. How do you see now pot being legalized? Um, I, you know, I'm not against 
legalizing pot. I think legalizing it for medicinal purposes uh, is a good thing because it does help a lot of people. And I'm really grateful that uh, Governor Herbert just signed that bill in about the cannabis oil because just like all herbs and plants, Mm -hmm. there's medicinal purposes, there's healthy purposes for it, but it's it's the abuse. And I think uh, the abuse is what hurts people. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think you can control that. I really don't, whether you legalize it or not. It's like you can't can't control Mm -hmm. alcohol abuse and it's legal. You can't control uh, porn. And, you know, there's just people that have addictive personalities that are more susceptible to addiction that fall prey to that or are in some kind of internal pain and they're Mm -hmm. finding a way to mask that through uh, either substance abuse, food. Some people do through... um, over-exercising. So, yeah. TB, I mean... Lack of balance always leads to exactly. problems, yeah. I, I don't know if you read Chad Hymas's quote about looking for that sunshine in people, because we were going right into an event, a barbecue, that is when I had my husband read it, too, because we knew that there were going, there's going to be problems with alcohol and in the family, and I said, it just said something about look for the sunshine in those people because I see it at a very young age in my family. It's not, it's not just uh, my brothers and sisters, but now it's their children mm. that are having the similar, similar addictions and lifestyle and probably depression, I'm sure, and how do I, you know, how do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing suicide more as an avenue that people are using. It's like an avenue. For some people, it's not a problem, and for some people, it is a, a great problem that disrupts lives. And I know it was very disruptive in my life and with the people that were around me. Hi, my name is Kara Clapp. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I have a PhD, and I've been asked to speak a few minutes about um, drug addiction issues. It's more prevalent than it used to be because it is uh, very cheap and easy to get, and oftentimes people will self-medicate instead of uh, going to a doctor and talking about their depression and anxiety. Um, Oftentimes those are the main reasons why a person is choosing to medicate, Uh, but now that I'm in the um, section of the population that's considered the boomers, uh, I have become more aware that alcohol use becomes more prevalent as a person gets older because they're going through losses, they might lose a spouse, they lose their dog, their children move away, their grandchildren move away, and um, it starts out very simply with a drink here, drink there. Uh, Currently, the definition of abuse um, of alcohol for women is uh, four drinks um, in one occasion or seven per week. For men, that is uh, 14 drinks or more than seven in one occasion. And I think most of us who uh, don't drink that much would recognize that as uh, perhaps a substance um, use issue, misuse. Um, The most important thing I can tell you about addiction is most people have to go through treatment plans several times. Uh, The average smoker will quit on the seventh attempt. Uh, The alcoholic is somewhere around the same uh, range for that, and treatment programs are expensive. I do know of a a program, even though it's uh, named Teen Challenge, it is for people of all age groups, uh, so you can call them. 
and ask about some resources they would have for you. If you're wondering if somebody is having trouble with some substance abuse and um, they will do some things that are more characteristic um, that will help you clue into what's going on with them. Uh, they seem a little uh, sadder, a little more erratic in their behavior compared to their usual. Um, if you question them about it, they can get defensive. Uh, sometimes, depending on the substance they're using, they may have blackout periods. This is true for alcohol. Um, um, some drugs have very obvious characteristics. I would always look for in my patients when I was using narcotics for chronic pain control. I'd look for over sedation or a, a feeling that they were out of it, that they weren't part of the conversation. They were answering questions oddly and just seemed very sleepy. Oftentimes that can be a narcotic addiction. If you find that they're suddenly losing their possessions or giving them away, they might be receiving narcotics or the drug of their choice from other people in exchange for um, their possessions. I've been part of interventions as a psychiatric RN um, on locked units where we had to do some interventions with a family member who was um, in Ohio, they'd call it pink slipping, where they were committed for 72 hours uh, against their will to be a, um, under observation and potential treatment. And I've seen some of those um, confrontations go really well and some of them not so well. Um, for me, it was on a locked psych unit, so they couldn't go anywhere. But if you're in a home uh, where the person can get up and leave, um, depending on how, how ready they are to acknowledge what they're doing, they may get up and walk away. You may end up having to do this intervention again. But I think if the intervention is done in a, a matter-of-fact, very loving way to remind them that this is not a personal failing, no one hates them, you can be honest about the behavior. Um, for example, uh, someone who's taking your possessions out of your house to sell them for drugs, you can point out to them, hey, you know, I love you, and it's really difficult when you come in and, and steal some things to go out and get your drugs because then I feel like I can't trust you. Just remember, it's okay to tell them the truth about how it feels to be around them when they're drug addicted, uh, that they're not participating in things that you find uh, valuable um, in order to have a two-way uh, relationship, a friendship. Um, but also don't let them talk you into doing uh, behaviors that we would consider enabling. Um, certainly not giving them money if you know that they're actively involved in their addiction. That's a great place to start just to let them know that you're not going to be this uh, ATM machine for them if it were. Certainly getting a professional involved early um, is a good idea. Unfortunately some people in the process of their addiction may already be involved uh, with the law enforcement because if it's involved some type of crime or theft um, the courts oftentimes will recognize that this person needs treatment instead of incarceration and that's sometimes um, a good place to start for some people. Um, if one of your loved ones are involved with the legal system and they're remanded for treatment, please be a part of their treatment plan. Go in and talk to the counselors and the people who are trying to help them. Be honest about how you've been affected by their addiction because um, when a family comes together, then that is the beginning of restoration and that's what this is all about, is helping the addict uh, get away from their drug use and helping restore the family relationships. Having been around addiction and being personally involved in addiction and that my younger brothers and sisters are all uh, drug addicted at some point in their life, um, I've come to realize that recovery from addiction is a three 
um, legged stool. You've got to take care of the mental process. Oftentimes the addict uh, stops growing um, from a psychosocial perspective at the time that they uh, started using. Um, it's really kind of funny because when you know what you're looking for, uh, sometimes it's very frustrating to uh, talk to a 65-year-old man. You expect him to act 65, but if he started drinking at 14, some of his mental processes and decision-making will seem very adolescent to you. And it's not that they're trying to do this, it's just one of those things that their growth and development got interrupted with a substance. And so learning to um, accommodate that while they come up to speed and uh, develop those mental habits that you'd expect of somebody of their chronological age is important. Uh, the second one is they've got to take care of the body. Oftentimes um, addicts, um, meth especially, it can destroy a healthy body inside of three months. Uh, if it's alcoholism, um, you know, that, that damage can take years to show up. Um, and the um, other one often doesn't get uh, very much um, attention to it, but the spiritual health of a person is important. So whatever their higher power is, um, they need to address it. And that three-prong approach, I think that's one of the reasons why Teen Challenge may have been more successful uh, compared to some of the other treatment programs, is they really emphasize the whole person approach, and spiritual development is part of that as well. So there we are. I'm going to rant. Today, I want to tell you a story. You know, the other day, I was at a convention about broadcasting, and I was talking to this gentleman, a young gentleman, that has a multi-channel network on YouTube. So we were talking about advertisers. And you know, the advertisers today are really looking for millennials. And they call the power group between 18 and 34. That's what they are looking for. So there are tons of money there for that generation. But I was talking to them, to, to this guy, and I asked him, you know, I understand they come for, for the power users, but do they ever look for boomers, for example? Because after all, we spend 31 trillion in the market every single year. Don't they look for that? And he actually said, yes, they do. But it's hard to find content to that audience, which is a great thing because it's a great opportunity. But then he said, actually, we've been talking to Betty White about doing something. And I was, oh my gosh, hold me now, hold me now. Because Betty White is not a boomer. She's really from the great generation. She's not a boomer. She's far from being a boomer. And I was thinking, you know, people that work in advertising should at least know the age groups well, who belongs to which group, because it's not because they're over 50 that we put everybody into generation old. There are differences. Again, don't forget, next year, the first Gen Xer will be 50. What are we going to do with them? Put them in the old bucket as well? Come on, people, at least know the different groups in different generations so you can cater to them appropriately, okay? Now, one important thing that we boomers could do is this. One of the reasons they, they consider the millennials the power, uh, power group is because not only they are online a lot, but they share things. You know, we boomers are online a lot as well, but we don't tend to share. We don't tend to share with our friends things that we see interesting. You know, the share button is always under either the blog post that you see, the podcasts that you listen to, or the, the video that you watch. So start doing that because, you know, it needs to be an effort to show people that we are not only online, but we are heavily online, and yes, we share content. So don't forget the share button from now on because that makes a big difference. And advertisers, get your age groups right. We are going to take a look today at standard security 
pole and curve grab bar. You know, the security pole and curve grab bar is fantastic for you because it provides safe, secure support for sitting, standing, or for transferring a patient to a walker, a wheelchair, or other mobility device. Because the wall mounts are not needed, it can be moved to any room in your home whenever necessary. And the slim design makes for an easy fit inside spaces. It can be installed between the bathtub and the toilet, for example, placed at your bedside or conveniently next to a sofa or a chair. The security pole has a curved grab bar to help the patient rise to a standing position. The grab bar is created with four vertical bars, allowing the user to gradually climb to a standing position using a hand-over-hand -hand technique. It's a fantastic tool because you can move from place to place in your home very easily. And the tight space thing, a big deal for to a lot of people. So go take a look at standard security pole and curved grab bar. Now I'm going to show you your new toy. It's this very cool car. It's a three-wheel car. Imagine this. It does. It goes 80 gallons, 697 miles. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's tiny. Uh, very it has a stability control, so it's safe to be on the road. And you can get on the best colors ever. I'm going to get an orange like this because I love this one. Uh, it's going to be released next year. And you can uh, put $100 down and get, get yours. So you just have to go to iliomotors.com. Ilio, E-L-I-E-O, motors.com. And you can get your car for next year. Start 2015 with a brand new car. We boomers instill power trends. I have listed some for you that we have a high force in propelling health, vitality, and wellness. Because, because we want to be forever young and live forever. Work, money, and avocation. Postponing retirement, you hear a lot about that, or simply changing how we retired. Yes, millennials, you have to deal with that. We don't want to retire like everybody else. Creativity and learning. You know, colleges are seeing a high influx of boomers coming back to college. Education is still an important thing for us. Passion, play, travel, and adventures. Yes, because, you know, it's not about work all the time, right? We gotta have fun. Girls, gotta have fun. Yes, girls, I gotta have fun. Fashion and beauty, for example. Botox is just the beginning of it. We want to be forever young. We will spend money in beauty and fashion. Family and friends, yes, we now realize how important family and strong relationships are to us, and we want to foster that. Caregiving and grandparenting, yes, you know what? We are now the sandwich de generation, right? We are between taking care of our aging parents and taking care of our grandchildren, and I think that's very interesting. Romance, love, and sexuality, because we're not too old for that, and we have to look for the right person to us, don't we? Giving back, volunteer, and philanthropy. Yes, you know what? We were called the me generation, but we want to leave a legacy, and we want to help other people, and we do that a lot with our pockets or with our free time, and that's very important. Religion and spirituality, because yes, we are open to the universe, we are full of questions, and we want a lot of answers, and we want to develop our spiritual side as well. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. If you did, don't forget to share, thumbs up, 
rate our channel. These are the type of things that keep us going. And I'll meet you next week at Boomerology Revealed. This episode of Boomerology Revealed is brought to you by Standard, your best option for mobility products. Be independent with Standard.com.